Normally when I come to teach, Clint just says, I'd like for you to share whatever the Lord's got for you. But this time he called me and said, would you pray about teaching a specific topic for me? And so I did. And what he's asked me to teach is about tithing. And so I'm going to entitle today's message, Tithing the Tithe. And I think that'll make more sense as we go through this session with you today. Uh, I have no apologies in teaching about giving because the Lord says in his word, seed time and harvest will be with us throughout the time this earth is together. And so this is how we sow into God's kingdom. And you'll, you'll see this more this morning. And really what the focus of this is, is not as much as the percentage, even though we'll talk about that, but it's having the right heart when we tithe. It's not doing something. You know, I hear so many people say, well, it's time to pay my tithe. I don't like that. We're not paying a tithe like we pay a bill. And that's what I hope that you'll gain from that this morning. So let's just jump into it. So the first question I would ask is, what is the tithe? What is the tithe? And the tithe is simply, that word simply means 10% or a tenth. And it is used to designate that which we give and I'll say two words here, which we give to the Lord through giving to our church. And this is a commandment that he gave to the children of Israel. They had no choice but to obey it. We're not like that, and you're going to see this through the discussions that we have this morning. Now, to many people, when they say tithe, that can mean any percentage that they give. But we'll, we'll be specific in the very first parts of this, and then we'll get into talking about the heart. So let's start with Psalm 24, the first verse. It says, The Lord is the earth, and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. So what is the Lord telling us this? That while we're on this earth, everything we might say that we possess or that comes into our hands, it's not really ours, is it? It's the Lord's. And he tells us even in Psalm 50, verse 12, that the cattle on a thousand hills are mine. So he's saying all these things that are possessions. And we've got to remember that when the word was written to the children of Israel, they were an agrarian society. So all the examples about tithing are going to be related to that. So the bottom line is we are stewards of what Clint, I like what he put here, of his stuff. Everything that we possess, everything that we say is ours, really belongs to the Lord. And let me tell you, he tells us in the Word that we're to be good stewards of that. What he gives us, he expects us to steward well. He even goes on to say that stewarding finances, stewarding money, or mammon, as you may remember the New Testament talks about, which just means money, that's the least we can do. And that says when we steward things well, steward money well, then he can trust us to give us those more precious things, up to and including his power, his assignments that he gives us. So we're basically stewards. Leviticus 27 verse 30 is the first time the word tithe is a it is used or it's used in this manner and it says bring all the tithes into the storehouse 
So there will be enough. No, let me back up because I'm doing one-tenth of the produce of the land where the grain from the fields or fruit from the trees belongs to the Lord and it must be set apart to him as holy. Now, there's a couple of things we could talk about. We could talk about the one-tenth, but we already had that. I believe when one-tenth talks about the first parts of our income, and we'll see that in a moment. But I want you to look at this last. It says it belongs to the Lord, and it must be set apart to him. Now, the word set apart is really the same word that used to describe you and I who have been sanctified. We've been set apart from the world, and we've been set apart to him. And he says this tithe ought to be treated in the same manner. And also see that he says it's holy. So when anything is holy, that means that we need to to be involved in it with an attitude in in our hearts of worship and of thanksgiving to him. In that then, you can, I would say that the tithe is that first part, but in all the offerings that the children of Israel gave, the same attitude that we're going to talk about with the tithes should be considered in offerings, just like you celebrated the Projects 216 offering last week. Now look with me at Malachi 3, verses 10 and 11. And we're going to read through this, talk about it, but then we're going to come back to 10. It says, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. That's the part we'll talk about in a moment. And then the Lord says this, if you do this, and can I say for the first time today, that's a choice you and I have to make today. We're not mandated to. We're not commanded to. We do it as a response to his love. But if you do this, says the Lord of heaven's armies, other translations would say the Lord of hosts, he says, I will open the windows of heaven for you. Now, to me, when I read that statement, I just think about goodness flowing out because that's all that there is in heaven is good things. It continues on to say, and I will pour out a blessing so great that you won't have room to take it in. Now, when we see that, let me just say that he's just not going to pour out to you and I without us expecting it or believing it. Everything we receive is what? Through grace, by faith. And so your faith is involved. And why that's important is these words that we're reading now should be the foundation of what we see as our faith in giving to him. And then he says, try it. Now, I personally in this translation don't like those words because I don't think it's something we need to try. We need to act on it because we believe what the Word says. But in the context of what he's saying, he's saying, put me to the test. In other words, let me prove my faithfulness to you. And when we talk about faithfulness and let him proving things, that means when I give that tithe, I ought to have faith in the scriptures we're about to read that he's going to bless me. He's going to do just what he said, pour out a blessing. And he's going to do it for our benefit because of his great love for us. Now let's go on to verse 11. He continues then and says, your crops will be abundant. Can I just pause there and just remind you, John 10, 10 says, Jesus says, 
the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come to give you life and life more abundantly. So begin to tie those two things together. Jesus was given to you and I to give us an abundant life in every area of our life. So our crops will be abundant. And then he says, for I will guard them from insects and diseases. Your grapes will not fall before they're ripe, says the Lord of heaven's army. So he's telling us here, I'm going to guard this. I'm going to rebuke the devourer, King James says, for your behalf. And he's going to do this, what? When we have become tithers. Now let's go back to verse 10 here. And that's on, uh, bring the tithes all the tithes, that first tenth, into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. So he's giving us instructions here, and I think we can glean two things from it. The first is that when we bring the tithe into the storehouse so there will be food, he's saying that this is how I will fund my work through the church in your lives. Now, I personally believe that when we do that, and I'll say this again in a moment, that you need to take that tithe in that storehouse where you are fed and where you worship. And it's important that you know where God's planted you so that you can be fed and you can worship Him in spirit and in truth. Now, the other reason and the thing that I really want us to see as we look at this verse is why the temple? Why didn't they just take it to the priest's homes? Because remember, the priests and the Levites, they didn't have any method of income other than what their tithes and offerings that came to the temple were. But why do we take that when we've talked about how it promotes the gospel for us today? But why would he tell them, take it to the temple? Remember that in those days, the Holy Spirit dwelt in the Holy of Holies behind a veil that no one could enter into except the priest. And what this says to me is that he wants it to be brought near to him so that the, not so that the offering would just be near him, but so that the people would be near him. So they're coming, bringing to the temple, and he's desiring that their presence be there. Can I give you a, a quick verse to, that really supports this? This is in the chap- book of Mark. And it's uh, chapter 7, verse 11. And Jesus is talking to some Pharisees who he's, in, he's really chastising them for not taking care of their parents. And what he says to them is, but you say, if a man says to his mother or father, so they've been making excuses about why they're not supporting him, what profit you might have received from me is Corban. And then it goes on to say, define what Corban is. That is a gift to God. So what these guys were saying is, yeah, I've got some money, but I've already dedicated it to God. Hadn't given it, but they've dedicated it to God. Now, the significance of this word, it's to draw near with a gift. And so I want you to see even the basic word, and this is the word that is used for offering over and over in the Old Testament. So what is, when, we, when a gift was brought to the Lord, you can see the importance of this drawing near or having your eyes or focus on him, not just the money or not just the offering, which in this case was uh, of the land, including the animals, 
but on the Lord himself. The Lord wants us. Now, what does this mean to you and I who are in the New Testament, not under the law? It, it means that even though we are close to him, when we bring an offering, he wants us to treat it as holy and really offer it, give it to him with the right heart. And that's what we're about to move in and talk about. So I want you to see it's not just about, and I know a lot of you guys give online. Our church also does not take up an offering in church. We have some boxes in the back of our sanctuary that we put our tithes and offerings in. And, and I'll share with you how BJ and I do that a little later on. But even when we're giving online, don't just do it as something that you just rotely do or have to do however often you're paid and, and make your offerings. Do it as a potential of drawing near to him. Now, we said that the command for them was under the law. And so let's talk about five things, I think, that we can learn for us under New Testament support. So for me, we talked about tithing where you attend. And personally, I believe it's a choice that I have to make how much, and if I do it at all. It's not a mandate. It's not required as it was to the children of Israel. So my, in my thinking, my beliefs, and again, Clint asked me to share with, with you guys what we taught he and his two brothers through the years when we were raising them, as young as probably uh, some elementary students. We taught them these basic principles. So I believe that you bring the tithe to where you're fed and you want to sow seed, what? In good ground, not on hard red clay. And I can tell you I, with all my heart, I believe Believer's Church here in Sylvania is good ground to sow your seed into. Now, if you don't believe that or if people are going somewhere and they don't feel like they're being fed, then... Maybe that's not where they're supposed to be. So I want you to, to understand the importance of how much each of you have been led here by the Lord and planted so that through you, you can be watered, you can be fertilized with the knowledge and the wisdom of God so that you can produce fruit in this city. That's what it's about. And so the tithe helps this church do that. Good seed in good ground. The second thing, and then I want to talk about five areas here. Or, and the first one is, some say tithing was under law and we don't have to do it. But we've already said that it's, we're not under the law, we're under grace. So when we do things, everything we do ought to be done in faith, but through the grace of God that he's giving to us. So when I'm offering my tithe, how do I do it? Um, churches who take it up, as our church in Tennessee did, we would just, the pastor would say, you just pluck it in the, in the bucket as it goes by or in the offering plate? Or do you really place it in there as an offering before the Lord? And the same things holds true with you and I today, whether we put it in a basket at the back as we walk out or whether we sew it online. And the tithe really, in my opinion, should be made 
giving thanks to God for what he's provided me, worshiping him that he's going to take care of my needs as well, and we'll build on that in a moment. And so it's through that thankfulness that we're giving to him for all that he has done for us. Now, the second thing is that tithing, um, we talked about this earlier, I actually mentioned it earlier, but don't just try tithing. Study God's word. Take the scriptures that we've used, that we're using this morning, go back through them and let faith begin to arise in your heart so that you can see the importance of tithing and have this something that you can do. We can do that because we get, need to get to a point where we believe that he wants to take care of us. He wants us to have the necessities of life that we can live a good life, or I'm going to use the phrase, we can travel well, and that'll mean a little bit more to you in just a moment. All the scriptures that we're going to read really form the foundation today of why we need to tithe. The next area uh, is don't give out of fear. Don't try to tithe out of fear because you believe God's going to punish you. And that's what a lot of people teach. And we get it from Malachi uh, chapter 3, verse 8, which says, Will a man rob God? Now, this is written, again, to people who are under the law. And it says, Yet you have robbed me. And you say, In what way have we robbed you? And then it says, In tithes and offerings. Too many people today believe that God's going to get you if you make a mistake. And what they're really saying is, that God will punish you for your disobedience, for the sin, if you, in this case, withhold tithes. Now, you realize what we're saying when we believe that? What we're actually saying is we don't believe that Jesus actually suffered and took our punishment on the cross and that there's something else I need to do. There is nothing that you or I have done or will do that if we turn to him has not been forgiven. Nothing, including tithing. So don't give out of guilt. The final question I get is, is my tithe to be before you take taxes out or after you take taxes out? And some of you are laughing, but can I tell you, that's not the right question. Because if you're asking that question, I would go back and ask, is my heart right in tithing? And it says, bring the first of the crop. Again, we've got some, some examples of that. So if you're asking those kind of questions, just take a step back, no condemnation. And nothing I'm teaching this morning should bring any condemnation. Because what does Romans teach us? There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. So if you're born again, you're in Christ Jesus. And none of the words should condemn us. It all just encourages. Let me give you an example of a bad heart. So if you'll go to Genesis, the fourth chapter, we're going to look at verses 3, 4, and 5. This is concerning Cain and Abel. And what we're about to read 
is what led to the first murder on this earth over an offering. So it begins in verse 3 by saying, So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Now let's stay on this verse for just a moment. It says, in the course of time. I like to look up the words because I can remember the day I looked this up. I said, Lord, what are, we, what are you really saying there? When, when the crops got ready? Or is there something else? And it's really two words that are used in the Hebrew language, one which means border or end, and the other word means time, a period of time, or a season. So if you put those two together in this context, it could say concerning this, it came about near the end of the growing season. And that's what I really believe happened here. That Cain took what he had on the third or fourth pickings. Now, I'm not much of a gardener, but I do know that by the time you pick it several times, there's not an abundance, and it's not often the best fruit of the ground. So how does that relate to you and I? There were times in my life before I really learned these principles where I would say, well, let's just wait to the end of the month to see what we have left, and I'll give that. Do you see how this is the same thing that Cain did? And, and again, I'm just trying to make the Scripture come alive to us so if we've missed it in some areas, we can turn right back to the Lord and just be in that position to have this blessing poured out on us. The next verse begins to talk about Abel. And it says, on his part, he also brought Notice what it says, the firstlings of his flock, the best, and their fat portions. And the fat portions is really to indicate that they were plump, they were, they were such that when the meat was cooked or the offering was made, kind of like a ribeye steak when you're with all the marbling when you cook it, it's got a sweet aroma. That's really the connotation of that. And it says this then, and the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. So there was something that the Lord loved about Abel bringing the first or his best lamb. I teach this sometime and talk about, he brought Fluffy, the lamb who he had nurtured, who he had raised up just so he could offer him to the Lord. And then look at verse five. But for Cain... For his offering, he, talking about the Lord, had no regard. In other words, it was not accepted. Now, a lot of people will teach that it was because he didn't make a blood offering. I don't believe that's true. He didn't use his faith to give his first and best, trusting that the Lord was going to give back to him. And everything we do as a believer is to be done what? In faith. And Scripture actually goes on and says if we don't do that, it can be a sin. So for Cain, he had no regard for this offering, and it made Cain very angry, and his countenance fell. Now, the story will continue. We won't read it to say that the Lord said to him, you can correct this, but he wouldn't do it. And that's what led to the first murder in this earth. So I want you to see a right heart says, I'm willing to take the very best that I have the things that I have treasured the most and give to you, Lord.
Now let's go on then and uh, begin to talk about the fact that God wants us, and I'm going to use that word again or phrase again, travel well in this life. He wants us to prosper. We'll define that. He doesn't want us to lack. What does Psalm 23, the first verse say? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Want means lack. So the Lord is our shepherd, and we will not lack. That's what he's telling us there. In the last verse of that psalm, it actually says that he's going to chase you down to, to pour good things upon us. So that's the attitude that I want us to have as we talk about um, this issue. I want to go to 3 John 2, and let's see his will for our life. Beloved, now... When it says beloved in Scripture, and you're a born-again believer, is that talking to you? You ought to be nodding your head, and you ought to be nodding it with a smile on your face. You are the beloved of the Lord. You be loved by Him. That's who we are. That's the basis for everything we have in Christ Jesus. And what does it say? I pray... Some translations say, I desire that in all respects. Some translations said, I desire above all things that you prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. The word prosper, there's two words. One of them means on a road and the other one means good. The term was used to describe business people in Jesus' day who were successful in their work, in their job, and it provided income to us. Literally what it says is, I pray that in all respects you may travel well in this life and be in good health. That's the, the desire of the Lord for all of us, first and foremost. But it goes on to use, has this phrase, just as your soul prospers. So I, I want you to pay attention to that one. Because we can't prosper in the things of God until our heart and our soul are aligned. Now, a soul that's not prospering is one that's worrying about, how am I going to do this? I just put my tithe in, and I'm not going to have money for this. Or how it, and you see what the, creates anxiety or worry. But a prosperous soul says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack. I shall not want. And that is so, so important to us. Philippians 4.19 is another verse that says that God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his riches, not from mine, but from his, which have been given to us, how? Through or in Christ Jesus. So we can see through these verses that he wants us to prosper. Now let me begin to wind this down talking about four verses from Second uh, Corinthians. And so I'm going to go to Second Corinthians, uh, the eighth chapter and ninth. Chapters eight and nine really go together. And the theme of eight and nine is that we're able to give because of his grace of giving to us. So this says, since you excel in many ways in your faith, which comes from God. It's not just our faith. It's Jesus' faith that was placed in us. Your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us. 
I want you to excel in this gracious act of giving. So what do we see? Giving of what we have is an act of grace. And we receive his grace in order to be able to act upon it. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8. To me, this is the definition of the word to prosper in the New Testament. It's not about an amount of money. It says God is able to make how much grace abound to you? All grace abound to you. So that, ha- so, so that and I'll say you, always having all sufficiency in everything. Now, does that sound to me like he's, the Lord is my shepherd? I shall not lack. I shall not want. That's what it's saying. And then it says you may have an abundance for every good deed. So what I believe this verse tells us is that the definition of being prosperous in the Lord's eyes is having our needs met, is traveling well in this life he's given us, and having an abundance, having some left over to do what he instructs us to do. Much like many of you probably did in Project 216 this past week. So it's having what we need and the extra to do what God tells us to do with it. Now, verse 12 in this same chapter says, For the ministry of this service, what's that service? You giving, and let's say you giving to Believer's Church. It not only fully supplies the needs of the saints or of Believer's Church, but notice this. It said, It is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Your giving here creates an abundance so that you can do those things as a church. And when we are thankful for all that we're able to do because all he's given to us, do you begin to see how thanksgiving, appropriate for this time of the year, when we are thankful for what he's given us, this verse says it creates an overflow, so it gives us more. And so it's just like a cycle. The more that we serve God through his, through giving to his, what he directs us to, the more that we get seed to sow and bread to eat, which you'll also see in this chapter or in Philippians 4. And so it just like it builds, it grows. And that's what we've seen in our life. Let me give you a, let me just tell you that Psalm 35 verse 27, I think it's up here. It's not. Let me just read it to you. It says, but let all my true friends shout for joy. Now, King James, I believe, says, let the Lord be magnified. All those who know and love what I do for you, let them say, the Lord is great and he delights in the prosperity of his servant. Now, I'm not up here preaching a prosperity gospel. There is not but one gospel, and that is of Jesus who came and paid his blood so that we could have life. But I want you to see the heart of God for us is to live a life where we can be generous and where we can serve him as he instructs us to do. 2 Corinthians 9 the seventh verse, and this is from the Passion Translation. This ought to describe us here today. 
Let giving flow from your heart. Not from a sense of religious duty. In other words, not from something you have to. Let it spring up freely from the joy of giving. And that was really, as I was preparing this a couple of weeks ago when Clint told me that Mel would be doing the offering since he was just coming back from Honduras for Project 216. This was my prayer for you guys, that you would have a heart that, that the spirit of giving would just freely spring up and that you would get great joy from seeing the fruit that's going to be created from Project 216. This verse concludes by saying, all because God loves hilarious generosity. And I like that because that was what was on the uh, intro that I saw this morning here. Now, Matthew 6, 21 says, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. A lot of people say, follow your heart. But I think that's dangerous because concerning giving, if money is the desire of our heart, then we're going to hold on to it tightly. If the Lord is the treasure of our heart, Him first, then everything He puts in your hand, you're going to be willing to say, Lord, how do I use this? That's the true heart of giving that I think He wants to describe today. With our three guys, we encourage them to be tithers and givers. We taught them at a young age that if you sow your, cast your bread upon the waters, it'll come back to you. That's a verse in Ecclesiastes. And they begin to see that even as a young child and would tithe some of the gifts that they were given. Not necessarily Christmas gifts, but other gifts that they were given. They would begin to tithe it and they saw it. I would say this to you. Our experience in BJ's in my life is that because we haven't always been perfect in this. I'm not standing here to toot my own horn. But we have seen over and over again that the Lord is able to do more with the 90% after my tithe was given than we were able to do with the 100%. Over and over and over again. And I'm convinced you'll see that. Clint asked me to share this part about my parents. My dad was a football coach and a teacher. In fact, my first trip to Sylvania was to play Screven County in a playoff game around 1959. Uh, we must have won because that year uh, was the first of three state championships that he won in six years at Dublin. But... The point about that is my mom was a part-time nurse. In those days, and really it's true today, teachers are not the best compensated for the investment they make in young people's lives. And when he retired, he had already learned these principles late in his career. But when he retired, we began to notice they seemed to have more money than they did when they were working. And we never really understood why until about 10 years uh, after he really began walking in the fullness of that, he asked me to sit down and become executor of his will and he wanted to go over all of his finances so that I knew what was where. 
And as we did that, and I just said, well, tell me what you do uh, with your expenses and how much you're tithing and giving. And I know you're putting up 10% or so savings every month. So just go through that with me. When we added up what he was tithing to the church, what he was giving to other ministers after the tithe, it was almost 36%. And what we saw then is an absolute testament to having an abundance. Dad's been dead since 2005. Mom uh, lost some of his income. But till this very day, she's been well taken care of. And I believe it's because they acted with joy and gave of their, what they had to the Lord so freely. So that's the right heart that I want you to see. I want you, everyone in this church, and I know it's Clint's heart. Um, I know it's not about just trying to get more money in this church. Now, I do want this church to prosper. I want my son to prosper and his family. But I know that his heart is to be able to produce fruit through this church, through your participation in joyous generosity so that you see Sylvania becoming great light in the darkness that we all see coming in this world. That's his heart for you. That's my prayer for you. So let me pray for you as I close with this. Father, I just thank you that you don't really need our money, that it all belongs to you anyway. But I thank you that you show us in your word that when we give you what is yours, what is holy to you, that you will take care of us, your people. You will give us what we need such that we can sow good seed in good ground here in this church and in other places that you may tell people to sow into other ministries. Father, I just thank you for opening our eyes to this so we may be one of those who give hilariously, cheerfully, not out of compulsion, and as we do, we worship you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So let me encourage you today. The next time you give your offering, and I'll just use BJ and I's example, take that offering, whether you're placing it back here, whether you're fixing to click a button online, and you or even the whole family just get together and worship the Lord. Give thanks to him for all that you've been provided. And as you do, I think heavens will be opened for an abundance upon you. And you'll see the desires of your heart for this area come to pass as your testimony is this church loves other people and puts money where we say we love you. Bless you guys and thank you for allowing me to share with you.